Definitely make sure that there's communication going on on your job site. Never assume anything. That's always dangerous. If you have any questions, you know, don't be afraid to to ask someone who would be appropriate to answer those questions. Oh, we should have be in the mindset that all accidents are preventable if we are following a safety protocol. I feel very privileged to be in the position that I'm in and I want to earn it every day. Welcome to the Theater Art Live podcast and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. On this episode, we'll be talking to Shobanki about temporary structures and stages. Shabangi is a project manager at the United Staging and Rigging. She is an ETCP certified arena rigger and a certified Columbus McKinnon voice technician. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? All good on this side. How are you? I'm great. So should we start with you telling us about you a little bit, just briefly about you and your career? Sure. I started my career when I was in college I was a stagehand for a while and then quickly got interested in rigging. And since I was still going to school at the beginning of my career, I never went on tour, but I did work in a lot of uh, local venues in Southern California. And having that experience with different venues uh, is very interesting. It's great uh, learning experience and work experience. You know, one day you're in an arena, the next day you're in an amphitheater or a theater or a soundstage. So, and then there was a period of time after I graduated from college that I was traveling as a fall protection and rescue trainer and attending different safety committees, keeping up with our industry standards in the United States. So now I am a project manager for United Staging and Rigging. And what what exactly got you into rigging and hooked your attention there? Honestly, as a stagehand, I was trying to learn as much as possible. The first people you work with are the people unloading the trucks and the lighting technicians and the audio technicians. So I would just constantly ask, like, what's this cable? What does it do? How do you put this together? Trying to learn as much as possible. And one day I looked up and finally noticed that there were actually people walking on the beams above me. And I was like, dang, that looks really interesting and dangerous. I can do that. I want to do that. I want to at least have the experience of being up there. And if I like it, I like it. If I hate it, at least I did it. So that's kind of what got me interested. So temporary structures. I think like you're saying, you got to work in like arenas and theaters and all sorts of venues and temporary structures basically allow us to have a stage doesn't matter where we are. Can you tell us a little bit of what is a temporary structure? Absolutely. So in the United States, we have OSHA, which regulates the laws for safety in construction, the general industry, agriculture, and the maritime industry. 
for the entertainment industry, the laws that pertain to us most come from construction and general industry. And according to OSHA, a temporary install is something that's going to be in place for 90 days or less. So if you install something and it's going to be there for over 90 days, then you may need to look into permits or special permissions for that install. You may change the way you build your structure because it needs to be more permanent. So there may be more engineering involved. As far as a temporary structure is concerned, in entertainment, a lot of what we build is out of truss, aluminum truss. And there's different kinds of aluminum truss, and you can connect them in countless different ways to create all kinds of configurations. Some temporary structures are either suspended. So if you're in an arena, it will be connected to the beams. Sometimes there's steel beams, sometimes they're wooden beams, but the structure will be suspended from them by chain hoist. Or if you're outside, um, or if you have a structure that isn't very strong to support what you want to hang from it, you may have a ground-supported structure. So that just means you build from the ground up. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So basically... How do we build and who does this? Like, what's the deal with temporary structures? Like, 101 got us through, okay, we're going to build this. What is this? How does it work? What do we do with it? So I'm a rigger, and I realized that my last answer was very heavily based on rigging, but temporary structures can also include the staging aspect of it. And if you have automation in your show, then the automation becomes an aspect of your temporary structure. As a rigger, uh, your job is to make sure that all of the departments can have their equipment where they want it. And your job is basically to be able to integrate everything physically in the space. So you have someone, some creative who comes up with a concept and they hire designers you'll have the designers say, well, we need lights here. We need an automation system or track and trolley system over here for this effect. And we need speakers in these locations. And these people come to you with their drawings and you need to take those drawings and think, okay, what is going to be the safest way to hang or to build this? And Where do I need to put my suspension points or my support points? How much of a span can I have in between support points? Am I overloading something? Am I distributing the weight properly? Are we going to have a flying act? Do I need to take into account characteristic or peak loads, also known as dynamic loads? So a, a production rigger is going to be the person who is dealing with all of those decisions. And then the people who actually build it are uh, typically riggers or stagehands or carpenters. Sometimes it depends on the employer or the labor entity and what they call those people for the day or for their, for their company. For the most part, it's, it's riggers or stagehands. How long does it take to build one? 
from let's say you have everything in the truck ready to go out of to it's ready to be used so it just it depends that is a uh i'm gonna quote jim shumway right now and uh, eric rouse and all those guys it depends it depends on how many support points you have how big is the structure it depends on the space that you're in every single theater and every single arena is different and sometimes those differences are hard to see from the ground sometimes they're even hard to see up close and you don't realize you're running into some weird anomaly until you're actually in the moment and you discover hey we've got an issue we need to problem solve this and then moments like that can make your install take longer i've had installs that last four hours i've had installs that last a couple that are spread out over a couple of days the conventions tend to take longer because there's a lot involved with them Sometimes installs in theme parks can take a while. Like I said, it depends. How does it differ uh, the place you're in? Like, how does it affect the structure? You were talking a, lot, a little bit of it depends where it's at, right? Uh, is it an arena or is it a convention center or a theme park or a theater? Or how, how do you work this out? So there's definitely a lot of things to take into consideration one of the decisions you'll have to make is, am I going to suspend this uh, apparatus from the uh, permanent building structure or am I going to support this from the ground? If you're doing a ground structure, you need to, no matter where you are at, you should do a site survey, you should do a hazard and risk assessment, and you should figure out how to mitigate any risks that you come across. When uh, you do your site survey, if it's outdoors, you need to consider the ground conditions. Is the land, is it going to be able to support thousands and thousands of pounds? Do I need to put down some, some padding to distribute the loads? You know, I need to make sure my uh, structure is not going to sink into some soft ground. Or if, if I'm in a football stadium and I've got some really nice, padding that's covering the stadium and I don't want to ruin it with what I'm building, then I may need to put some wooden pads down to, again, distribute the weight properly. If I'm in a hotel ballroom, do I need to put down carpet squares to make sure I don't ruin the uh, expensive carpet in the uh, ballroom? And then uh, if you're outdoors, you also need to take weather into consideration. You need to think about is it winter? Am I going to run into rain? Am I going to run into thunder and lightning? Uh, are there going to be high winds? You can definitely check some weather apps and they will let you know the forecast for the day or for the week. When we were doing, uh, when United Staging was doing a, um, a show or a, not a show, but a, uh, I guess an event, it was broadcast, a broadcasted event. We were in Nicaragua by a volcano, and we were using an app called Weather Ops to uh, let us know what the weather was going to be for the day and for the week. And um, it also let us know what the winds were going to be like, because winds can create a lot of force on your structure, and it can be very dangerous. And if you're caught in a storm, 
if you've got stuff that's hanging from your from your structure, it can get very dangerous. So there's uh, all those things to consider. Do you have a checklist? Let's say like, okay, so I'm doing this kind of structure. I go and I'll check the floor or the beams or the building structure or the outside structure. And is that how you go about it? Or do you just like literally go and see like, what can be, what do we have to work with? How, how does it work that? How do you do that analysis? Yeah, I would say a little bit of both. It's definitely, it's, it's helpful to have a system in place so that you can systematically go through your checklist. Uh, how is my anchorage point? How high do I need to hang everything from the ground? Do I have that room? How do I create more room if it's a low ceiling or a low, low beams? And you've got to consider how much truss, how much, how many materials you need, how many chain hoists, how many slings and shackles. Um, and I, I'm sorry, again, I, I'm a rigger, so I'm I'm speaking a lot on the rigging side, but you also have to consider how am I going to build my stage? What's the shape that they want? Can we fit it into this space? Do we have enough room for an emergency exit? Do we have enough room for a backstage area for storage and for different consoles? And do we have room for a video village for excess cable? And there's oh gosh, it's just, the list could go on. And then as you're going through the list, you're definitely trying to think of worst case scenarios and you're trying to consider, you're trying to find your problems before it becomes a problem when it's, when you've got a really strict timeline to work with, if that makes sense. Totally. Because it's always the thing, right? Do you have your timeline and you have time, uh, set um, idea and frame where you have to work with, right? To make makes it exciting. So let's say I'm just a technician or maybe a producer, and I'm I'm not a rigger, but we're working on this. Let's say it's a festival and it's outdoors, or it's a concert in an arena, or you know, this we're having an event, and I get there. And there's no rigors, there's no technicians around. How do I know if it's ready? How, how do I know if I can use it or if it's safe for me to go and say, okay, I can hang a like from here or yeah, we can start the event in two hours. How, how do I know? Like, I don't, I mean, for sure I should communicate with the rigors, right? And the people building it. But how do I get a basic idea of when a structure is ready to go? I think you answered your question. There's definitely got to be communication and there's definitely a chain of command. You've got your producers, directors, your technical directors, your production managers, all the heads of departments and all of the assistants and the workers. So you just definitely make sure that there's communication going on on your job site never assume anything. That's always dangerous. If you have any questions, don't be afraid to, to ask someone who would be appropriate to answer those questions. And then once you get your answer, ideally, it, at least in my perfect world, there will always be a safety briefing before anybody can do any work on the temporary structure. 
So that's the way to make sure you can do your uh, work on your on the structure or walk or stand on the stage. Just uh, just ask if if you're ever in doubt, ask ask for a safety briefing. Ask if there's any hazards that you need to be aware of. There may be a hole in the stage that you don't see. And maybe they haven't put up any uh, cones around the hole to let performers know, hey, don't fall in there. And uh, so the stage might not be ready for you at that time, but you don't know unless you've been told or if you ask. So, yeah, just all those things. I know. I always get curious about these big structures that kind of fall, you know, that you think sometimes you understand why they do fall. But sometimes you think like, oh, my God, this is one of the countries with the most safety measures, not necessarily the U.S., like one of some of the countries that can be very tough and then accidents still happen and they will keep happening and we'll keep learning from them. But sometimes I'm still very intrigued and like, how did how could that happen? You know, right. And so that's like, what do I look at to make sure that we're doing it right? Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah, you know, it would that would here's an idea for anybody. Take the world's entertainment structure failures and accidents and write write a textbook about the case studies for all of them and what went wrong, why they went wrong and how they could have been prevented. Sometimes it seems like certain accidents are not preventable. Although I, I, I don't really like to say that because oh, we should have, be in the mindset that all accidents are preventable if we are following a safety protocol. The structures should be built by people who are competent and qualified, and that can take the form of an engineering degree. It can take the form of a certification. In the United States, we have the ETCP certification for arena rigor and for theatrical rigor. It can look like, you know, 25 plus years of experience, what have you. It's a team effort and you want to make sure you're surrounded by good people who are competent and who know what they're doing. So with all of that in place, then people who aren't involved with the structure build shouldn't have to worry about whether or not it's good or safe. Right. Hire the right people for the right job. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And you know what, with all this coronavirus and uh, everything slowing or slowed down right now, there's a lot of webinars available online. So even if you're not a rigger or a stagehand, check out those webinars and just learn about some of the things that we pay attention to and it's it's always good to it's always good to expand your horizons and educate yourself. I would like to do a webinar about merchandising and learn about things that I'm not necessarily a part of. So I would encourage people to uh, attend some of those webinars and and learn a little bit about what they uh, don't typically do. Very true. It is always interesting to learn new stuff. Yeah, in the diving side of world, I'm a diver, and um, we there's one of the big insurance companies keeps a record and a database. There's more than that, but that is the one that's accessible. And of course, everything stays anonymous, and everything is like it really is for the sake of learning and understanding what happens or what happened. 
And so most, I know OSHA does this as well with incident reports, but this one is near misses and every report that it's filed is in that database and it gets analyzed by, by the professionals and say, okay, this is what happened, how happened, how we could have prevented it or how can we move forward? And if anything, we change policies from there. And I think at least for me as a dive instructor, it's super valuable to, to be able to see that and say, oh, uh, let's not do this or let's do more of this. And yeah, sometimes I wish there was a little bit more information accessible in technical theater for those matters. Right. There is. We do have to look for it, but it, there is some there. Yeah. So if you're ever uh, and if the audience is ever curious about uh, learning a little bit about safety or if you are involved, take on a lot of responsibility for these structures and for these dangerous things, then um, my recommendation would be to read the uh, OSHA standards or the OSHA regulations for the construction and general industry and try to try to figure out what applies to you and how it applies to your company or your role within the company. OSHA has regulations for asbestos, for hazard communication, and for cranes and derricks and general rigging. So that's a good place to start if you're in the United States. I'm trying to get more familiar with some of the regulations, the OSHA equivalent for Europe and for the Middle East and for Australia. And I'm, I'm trying to learn more about international regulations. But for the listeners in the United States, OSHA is a great place to, I know it sounds super boring, but OSHA is a good place to kind of peruse around. You can purchase ANSI standards. One of the ones that really applies to our industry is the Z359 standards about fall protection. And then the standards that you can download for free are the ESTA TSP standards. So um, those are ANSI accredited standards. And you go to, honestly, I do a Google search. I go ESTA TSP and then I can find the standards. But um, you can go to those documents, you can download them for free, and they've got them for rigging, lighting, and for special effects. And you can read through those standards because those are ANSI standards that are geared towards our industry. So there's a lot of technical words that uh, we're more familiar with. Honestly, if I'm if I'm writing a safety manual or a safety program, that's kind of my process is I'll start with OSHA and then work my way down to the um, standards that are more stringent, but recommended. And, uh, and I just, that's my thought process is I figure out, you know, how those standards apply to the employer and uh, what the employer is responsible for, what we need to do to make sure we have a safe program. So uh, that's actually what I'm currently doing for United Staging is uh, we don't have a whole lot of projects going on at this time. So one of the big ones is developing the safety manual, safety training. That's a really good way to occupy your time, by the way. That's exciting. I know I've worked in the Middle East with 
the UK equivalent of OSHA, which is IOSH, Institution of Occupational Safety and Health. But also for different stuff, you can do just what you did. Like I know the Canadian information is readily available and the general, like the the European Union equivalents for um, health and safety are very easy to find as well. But yeah, I'll, I'll look up the, the links and I'll put them in the notes, in the show notes. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So what would you say is the thing you like the most about your job right now? Honestly, right now in this coronavirus era, my favorite thing about my job is the new challenges that I get to work through. I have taken over the uh, social media for United Staging and I redid the website and I've been learning a lot about search engine optimization. When you get into stagehand work and entertainment work, you just don't expect to ever have to do certain things like doing a website and figuring out how to make it the number one search on Google and all of that stuff. It's been interesting. The other thing I enjoy about my job is quite honestly, working from home. As far as mental health is concerned, it is much nicer for me to be with my partner rather than in a long distance relationship and working from uh, another state. So yeah, personally, I have definitely enjoyed that about my job. Thank you very much, United Staging. I highly appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, try to work hard, do my best, create a lot of high quality work because I feel very privileged to be in the position that I'm in and I want to earn it every day. And if you could change something, anything from either your job or the way the industry, the live entertainment industry works, what will you change? Well, for the live entertainment industry, I would honestly love it to see health and fitness valued more. And and health, you know, we're talking physical and mental health at the same time. So thinking about my friends who are, you know, who are freelancers and they do 80, 100 plus hours a week and they're going from venue to venue. Sometimes they've got a job through the night and then the next morning they're at their next job. I used to do that and I don't want to do that anymore. And I feel my heart goes out to the people that have to work that hard to support their lifestyle. Honestly, I think maybe a few things need to change. I think about my friends back in Southern California and I, you know, I worry about them if they're driving home after a 30-hour day or something. Like I want them to be safe. I want them to be okay when they're driving home. I don't want them to get into an accident, you know. I think about those things. And I also think about my fellow riggers and stagehands who have lower back problems or who get winded after going up a flight of stairs. That's not everybody, but you know, some people like, again, my heart, my heart goes out to them. And I honestly, it's inspired me to get my personal training certification so that I can learn more about muscle culture and learn more about how the human movement system works and how to prevent common chronic illnesses and how to correct muscle imbalances. So Honestly, I would love to see that. I would love to see 
everyone in the industry valuing their physical and mental health and fitness. Totally agreed. Oh, and also, of course, I would love to see more female riggers. You guys are all badasses. You inspire me. When I was ever in doubt, I thought of my fellow female riggers, and it definitely helped. I think representation matters. So, yeah, go be badasses. <laughs> totally. We need more, more female in the industry, for sure, at all levels, I think. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for sharing with us and joining us today. Yeah, we'll have more of this, I hope. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Please write our review on our podcast, whatever you listen to your podcast, and let your friends know about us. You can learn more about Theater Art Live by visiting our website at www.theaterartlive.com. And you can also follow us on social media and leave your questions and comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, or YouTube. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Girata, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life Podcast, where we put the spotlight on those who create life entertainment around the world. <laughs>